You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, November 13th, 2023. Later in the program, we learn more about restoring social sustainability from eco-architect and village builder Mark Lakeman of Planet Repair. The emergency food system is not a very sustainable system in the ways that it works. Like we can move through a different way where people get their needs met. I want to I want you to be my comrade in this work. That's Annalise Haldeman from Mother Hubbard's Cupboard with a call for volunteers to help the hub build community food security later on in the show in a new episode of Activate. But first, your daily headlines. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on November 8th, Health Department Director Lori Kelly gave an update on COVID-19 cases in the county. Uh, COVID hospitalizations, emergency room visits, and wastewater levels have all decreased over the past week. According to the CDC, HV1 is now the dominant COVID-19 variant that's circulating in the United States. It does not seem to cause more severe disease than other variants or escape immunity from the vaccines. Uh, We are monitoring flu and RSV. Generally in November, we begin to see increases, um, but they are still minimal at this time. And the public health clinic has vaccines available for COVID, influenza, and RSV. You can call 812-353-3244. Area 10 Agency on Aging Executive Director Chris Myers gave an update on rural transit numbers and usage across the county. Just wanted to kind of give you an update of where we are with transit and trips and system-wide. And um, uh, so for 2023, from January through October, rural transit, all four counties, remember we're four counties, um, has had 36,303 trips, which is an increase of about 12% over 2022 numbers. And then Monroe County specific, Um, We've had 11,998 trips, Um, so that's for the 10-month period, and that's actually an increase of 44% over last year. So still kind of starting to find that climb back up from COVID when it just tanked out, of course, but so that's good. Those are all great trends, um, and we're holding steady on that. Actually, system-wide, Putnam County um, is pretty close on par with the same kind of demand as as Monroe County. They used to be slightly lower, but they're, they're, they're pretty close to where we are with um, the same sort of demand service that's going on. Um, just to give you an idea on revenue miles, uh, the average trip for this year system-wide is 7.03 miles per trip. So again, showing that we're not like a city service. You know, We do put a lot of miles on the vehicles to provide those services. And Monroe County is actually 8.31%, or 8.31 miles per trip. Um, we have successfully received all of the capital replacement vehicles for 2023, 
and are happy to work with Richard, who's been wonderful at Monroe County getting new plates and dealing with all the BMV stuff. So we are in the process of going through the in-dot required disposal for those. Um, so we have the old ones that we have to take all the decals off and all the equipment out, and then we'll be disposing of those hopefully in the next few months. We go through that govdeals.com system. Um, so that works out great. And then um, just as a kind of a note to have, we attended, um, Lisa Salyers and I, who's the transit manager, and I attended the mandatory NDOT North-South meeting last month. And one of the things that uh, Todd Jennings, who's the program manager, brought up is the intent for them to really look at systems. They have a lot of different one-county systems in the state for rural transit, and they're looking at trying to get those combined into more like the regional, like we are a regional rural transit provider. And so that's a kind of five to 10 year process that they're looking at. But for us and our system, they're looking at possibly taking on Brown and Jackson County as well. So as that conversation happens, I certainly will bring that back to you all because you are the grantee. <laughs> and, um, and so we have to, of course, have your blessing to do that. But um, I know that I've talked with uh, the Brown County system, and they were actually pretty excited about the idea of that because there's a lot that we have expertise in just because of the nature of our size um, that would help them out tremendously. Commissioner Julie Thomas asked Myers to share how to schedule a ride and who is eligible to use their services. Myers responded. You can call our, you, know, you can call Area 10 just in general, Area 10, but we're, we are, rural transit is 812-876-1079. And one of our dispatchers will help you, you know, get scheduled and you can schedule for any purpose. Anybody can ride. So it can be any age, any ability or non-mobility you know, issues. So um, we're happy to help anybody in the county. I think that's one of the biggest myths is that yeah. it's only for particular abilities or particular yeah. ages and it is open to everyone in the county and yeah, it's we, a wonderful service um, and I also want to thank you for your ongoing work uh, as we continue to dissect um, how we're going to manage this shift of January 1st, 2024 um, with between uh, the city and Ellisville and, and Monroe County. So thank you for that. Later in the meeting, Highway Department Director Lisa Ridge asked the commissioners to approve a change order for a portable stoplight on Sample Road. Good morning. Um, we had to make some modifications when Sample Road um, was being built at the intersection of Old 37 North and Sample Road um, due to a gas main uh, being within the area. So to eliminate um, any damage to that, we ended up having a portable uh, traffic signal so that we could keep the road open at least to one lane um, and not have to uh, deal with the gas main. The commissioners approved the change order unanimously. Lastly, Commissioner Penny Githens informed the public that they are accepting applications for appointments to boards and commissions. Uh, we are accepting applications for some boards and commissions, and many of the current um, appointments will end either December 31st or January 15th or early in the year, so there will be openings again for next year. The next Monroe County Commissioners meeting will be held on November 15th.
Up next in today's feature, we learn more about restoring social sustainability from eco-architect and village builder Mark Lakeman of Planet Repair. Inspired by his expeditions into indigenous communities to reconnect isolated Americans by implementing neighborhood placemaking projects. That's coming up in part four of his conversation with WFHB correspondent Zero Rose. People are amazed by, enthralled by when they come across images of these uh, intersections that you guys have taken over and paint like a big sunflower or some kind of mural in the street. Of course, you have events and festivals around it. And you, similarly with the unhoused situation, you call upon the, the different resources and skill sets that people have in the region. And you met resistance by certain people in the neighborhood and the authorities I believe the police were, were sick on you and then they were going to start fining you and stuff. Tell people about where you went from being a total renegade thing to a, a sort of a sanctioned operation. Well, this is one of the coolest bits of the story at the very beginning. Um, we started to do all these wonderful things in public space. I played a big part in getting that going because I had just come back from seven years of traveling to visit different indigenous villages around the world. And when I came back to my own neighborhood, I was like, you know, for for the first time in seven years, I was in a place where people weren't talking to each other. And because I had been an architect, I was like, oh, my God, I see the powers of zoning laws that force us all to leave where we live at the start of the day to go somewhere else. Well, unlike all the villages that I had been in, where people live and work in the same place, because nobody zones them and forces them. Or tells them you can't create livelihood right where you live. You have to go elsewhere and work for someone else. So when I came back, I'd also been interacting with Elk River, who had explained, you know, what it's like to be an indigenous person as part of a culture that's thousands of years old and be attacked by these crazy people who are like, in the name of God, we will take your land and subdue you. Um, what's it like to be on the receiving end of that? And then see these people are really, they really are crazy. And uh, they're being made crazy and they're instituting craziness into the places that they're taking. So I, I was helped to get a lot of perspective. And in my own neighborhood where I had grown up, I didn't care to talk to anybody, but I had just been out traveling and among all these people that have common stories and common songs and common architecture and, and gorgeous common spaces and the safest, most walkable communities in the world, the most culturally expressive, joyous, where people like are intergenerational and they grow up with their family and their true mentors, like all these good things. So I came back and I just, for the first time, I could see my reality because I'd, I'd been in all these other places. I now had a kind of a stereoscopic vision. I was like, wow, I see that we literally designed all of our problems. I felt like it was the cruelest joke ever. I was like standing in a neighborhood, typical American neighborhood without a single public square anywhere. And I was like, of course we don't talk to each other. And yet this place where pathways converge in all the villages in the world, that place is where people's lives come together. And then there's a commons where everyone flows in and out of the space and the organic, like they don't, those people don't have to talk about building community. They don't need um, a freaking, you know, block watch they don't need a, a phone tree 
They don't need a brownout in order to come outside and talk to each other. They live their lives in the streets. Like Shakespeare's whole theater of the life, theater of life plays out. They're on stage all the time in their own lives. They are living characters, not living in isolation. So I came back from that context and I was like completely free to break law, the law. I walked up to this old lady's house that I never bothered to talk to my whole life. And she like looks at me seven years after the last time she saw me ignore her. And she's like, what do you want? And I was like, okay, I've gone through a lot of change and I want to know what help you need. And she's like, are you serious? She's like, I need a lot of help. I'm poor and I don't have any children and I haven't been able to paint my house since 1966. And I was like, let's paint your house. And by the end of that day, we had built the first little 24-hour self-service solar-powered tea station on her corner. Like, that's the first thing we did. We made a place to share tea, a little pump thermos. Oh, my God. And then over the weekend, I mean, and then, because I wasn't afraid of people anymore, because I'd been in all these villages, I just stood, I went up and down the street, knocking on doors. And I was like, do you know Anne-Marie down on the corner? And some people were like, well, yeah, old lady. Other people had no idea who she was. And people had lived there for 20 years. They didn't even know who she was. So I was like unlocking the isolation. I went around knocking on doors knowing we're all isolated and that they didn't know it, that it was just normal. So I said, there's an old lady down on the corner who hasn't been able to paint her house for three decades. And I'm painting her house this weekend. You want to help? And people are like, sure, I've got a brush. I've got a pressure washer. I've got primer. Like everybody wanted to help. Like, this is one of the crazy things. Everybody really does want to help, but they don't even know how to ask for help and they don't know how to talk or listen. Like Americans supposedly can only listen for 15 seconds by on average. So I just not, I went up and down the streets knocking. All these people came out of their houses and we painted, we set up floodlights and we painted until it was time to go to bed. And then all these neighbors were feeding us. And, we, and this is how it can start in any damn neighborhood in the whole land. So we painted her house over the weekend. We built that tea station. And the next thing that happened on this other corner, Brian, the drag, dragster mechanic, some of these stories are so hilarious. We wanted to put in a little place for books on his corner. And we knocked on his door. I knocked on his door and he said, no way. You know, I'm not interested in what you guys are doing. Forget it. So then I walked back over to the house my family house on the on the northwest corner. And there was this gorgeous woman living there. Now, this is a story that some people might not appreciate, but Emily loved to run around in a bikini in the yard. She was just fearless and she was very beautiful and whatever, whatever was going on there. And I came back and she's like, well, did he say yes? And I said, um, no, I don't think it's happening. And she said, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> and she walked over across diagonally across the intersection and she knocked on his door and he came outside and five minutes later she walked back and she's like okay you can put it in you can build your little that's the story of the first little free library in the world officially the first little free library and if it if anybody needs verification, I can give them articles on this little books thing. But it was built by two little kids, two little foster kids, Timmy and Siobhan. And Emily Brides, Brideswell, I think was her last name. She's the one who got it to happen. 
on that corner. And we made it out of all these deconstruct, out of all this demolition um, that was happening in the neighborhood from gentrification. We took windows and boards and we built that little, 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 little we called it a book station, but it was the first little free library. And it was the thing that the folks from Madison came and saw that inspired them to create the organization, littlefreelibrary.org. Anyway, every one of the corners started to fill up with all these little interactive features and they were all illegal. Like now they're not illegal. <laughs> all of them are, to, you can you can just do them. They're free. They're, you, you, you actually are automatically permitted. And even though the city doesn't know that you've done it, you can just do it and you and you have an automatic mythological permit and you're automatically insured in case anything goes wrong like that's how cool our municipality has gotten like for everybody who's like oh no portland oregon what's happening um yeah what's happening is people are coming from the cold interior to the west coast fleeing the economic you know dis distress and they're coming to the west coast so first of all they're coming from all over the place it's not portlanders that are the only ones out on the streets and then uh, the real story of this place, besides the fact that we've got a huge black guy from the Trump administration attacking us and kidnapping people and disappearing them for days and then releasing them beat up in the streets, like that was what was happening. The real story of Portland, Oregon, is that we have been driving the process of change from inside of our communities and innovating madly and creating bridges and linkages vertically through the inf infrastructure of the system throughout the entire political spectrum and horizontally at every level. So we're an incredibly creative community that can do almost anything we set our minds to. And I think that's why we attracted the ire of the Trump administration, because we were literally out in the streets showing our democratic, no, not our democratic, like basically our protest culture is an, is an incredible um, expression of of you know an active engaged citizenry of democracy and uh I, i've literally wondered my whole life after one innovation after another i've been wondering what is going to what's going to happen once somebody decides they don't like this democratic experiment that's happening because it is attracting attention from all over the world people come in here all the time to try to learn our, what is the secret of our success. And then we get attacked in this way. Streets are filled with tear gas and people are fleeing downtown and the police are, you know, anyway, you know the story. Uh, so the real pro the real story of Portland, Oregon is, is the stuff that's not being told, which is happening everywhere. We're like, we're still the tree, we're the city with the most trees per capita because we plant trees madly. We have the most nonprofit organizations of all cities, the most coffee houses, the most public spaces, the greatest gigantic urban spaces and urban wetlands and wildlife sanctuaries, greatest public square in the country. Like, I'm sorry, I'm like extolling. It's like I'm from the Chamber of Commerce here, but like, I love this place. And I've been watching its story of, of it reclaiming its destiny from you know, the deeper, the, the the historical story of white supremacy, which was, you know, had taken hold here so, so powerfully for a long time. And that has been just reinvented entirely from within. So I think we attracted some repressive 
initiative from the outside in the form of Trump and his unaccountable um, thugs. Well, and part of that uh, fostering, you know, your local culture that you're talking about, I think was uh, really kicked in by the city repair project stuff. And at one point, the you know, before the outer forces came down on you, the local police were sent out to put down these precos. But <laughs> the police loved to they were sent out to stop us, and once they got there, they said, they literally said, the guy in charge of the entire southeast precinct of the city, this whole quadrant was Ed Riddell's responsibility, and Ed showed up at what we were doing, and he said, you know what, I'm paid to stop stuff which is bad, but not stuff which is good. And he's like, I'm not stopping this. This is wonderful. Because for one thing, when he got there, and we were painting the streets and building all these things on the corners, we didn't run away. Like we stood right there because it's our neighborhood. We actually were feeling so powerful and confident, not just because we were like a bunch of individuals standing right where we lived, but because we all felt connected and that what we were doing was to help all of each other. Growing up in Bloomington, Annalise Haldeman always thought of Mother Hubbard's cupboard as a food pantry. But these days, the hub is so much more. Haldeman talks about this food resource center and how vital volunteers are to building community food security on a new episode of Activate, coming your way right now on the WFHB Local News. Welcome to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hello, I'm Annalise Haldeman from Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. So at Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, uh, we oftentimes call ourselves the hub. We're open Tuesday through Thursday. Um, we consider ourselves a community food resource center, and so I grew up here, um, and so when I first started, I think the main thing that I thought about the hub was a food pantry. And I think a lot of people, including like people who come to volunteer, that's the only thing they think about us as. Um, but I think it's really important when we think about food justice, we have to think about that there's a lot of ways that people want to access food. Um, so the way that the hub kind of orients that of like, of course, we have a food pantry, but we also have lots of different programming, like in the garden and in the kitchen, like cooking classes in the garden and the kitchen. Um, we also have um, like a tool share library and we have programming that allows people to interact with food and access food in different ways. And that feels really important for us because not everyone needs a food pantry. Sometimes people need community around food. Sometimes people want to learn new skills in the garden. Sometimes people want to just be able to like get a tool to be able to like prepare the food. Um, so it feels really important to allow people space to navigate food insecurity in the ways that 
make sense to them and build community around food. So volunteering at the hub oftentimes can be in two different ways. We have lots of people who volunteer in the garden space. So people can plug in there if they're really wanting to get their hands in the dirt, if they have skills and expertise in gardening, we'd love to have you there. Um, if you are interested in working in our pantry space and being a, a kind face, being a person that like people can ask questions to, people can rely upon, um, is so important for us. I feel like in our work, there's only like nine staff members. And so we then have like 30 plus volunteers that come in every week. And so we rely on volunteers. In the pantry space, they're two hour shifts. Usually it tends to be 12 to two, two to four, four to six. Um, again, Tuesday through Thursday. About like five to six volunteers on each shift to like know their spot and work together to figure out what needs to happen on the shift. I want, to, I want you to be my comrade in this work. The, the emergency food system is not a very sustainable system in the ways that it works. And when we talk about capitalism, um, it can just be a hard framework to move about um, in a way that's really ethical, in a way that's really equitable. Um, but something that feels really important that if, if you're interested in volunteering at the Hub, um, we're really looking for folks who really value working within the Bloomington Monroe County community and seeing that there are ways to navigate the climate that we're in within capitalism with compassion and with heart with also like a fierce tenacity of like there is a different way like we can move through a different way where people get their needs met and that we get to listen to their needs and we get to value them um, and so it feels really important for me and for the folks that come on that they hold not only those values, but are like willing to show up in a way that like we can have accountability, we can be teammates in this as we work to serve our community. And that feels like really, really important. If you're interested in volunteering, you can reach out to me at programs at mhcfoodpantry.org. Um, again, that's programs with an S at the end at mhcfoodpantry.org. Or you can call us at 812-339-5887. That's 812-339-5887. Um, again, I'm Annalise Haldeman from Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.
been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 